Justin Peterson. And I'm Brian Lee. Welcome to the Voice Culture Podcast, where we traverse the rich historical legacy of voice training from the greatest minds and teachers of the art. Each episode features lively conversation, fascinating historical insights, and practical application for today's singer. Good evening, Justin. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing tonight? I'm all right. I am talking to you from lovely Florida. I am in a cottage near the Gulf of Mexico. Oh. And uh, it's uh, a different locale for me. It'll be fun to talk from here. I, I'm probably in danger of talking more slowly and stupidly. Oh. Um, just because I'm in vacation mode. But You're in vacation mode. <laughs> How are you doing? Right. I'm good. I'm good. I have, uh, it's been a productive day. Today's Martin Luther King Day. So I've yeah. been just catching up on life and errands and things. And, uh, but overall, no, things are very, things are good. Great. I'm looking forward to getting into our topic today. You had yeah. a great idea. You want to tell us about Yeah, that? I just, I wanted to talk about this idea about changing your mind. It seems that we live obviously now in a world where everything is so, um, polarized yeah. in, in belief and how we think about things politically, socially, culturally. Um, we don't seem to put much value on the ability to change one's mind or to evaluate yeah. one's thinking about things. And I just was thinking, how does this affect us in as teachers? And mm. it would, I thought it'd be really interesting to talk about what does it mean to change your mind as a teacher mm-hmm. and why I think, why do we think it's an important quality in an educator to be able to change one's mind. Great. And talk about times that we've changed our thinking about things. Yes. Yeah, I think it'll be fun to that's, actually... That's the boat going by outside. Yes, there, there will be little sounds now and there then. There will be boats because we're in Florida. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to chalk it up to exciting uh, ambiance. <laughs> Let me know if it gets really bad. Oh, no, it's good. But... uh yeah, there's a, there's a little sound here and there. We love it. Well, it's 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 a it's a evocative. I like it. Yeah, there you go. Proof that I'm not in the usual place. Yes, exactly. So change your mind. Yeah, I think right. I think it's uh, that's really interesting. You know, um, a lot of discussion forums I see online. It, it seems as if people are so entrenched. Yeah, and you don't see much. Well, two things you don't you don't see someone volunteering that they've changed their mind, and you don't see someone changing someone else's mind very much either. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> right. There's Precious a quote, little. There's a quote that I have been saying a lot to myself recently in light of what's going on. You cannot reason people out of a belief that they weren't reasoned into to begin with. Oh, yeah. In other words, you can't use reasoning to get someone out of thinking about something that they didn't sure. use reason to get to. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes with, with singing, that can be emotional connection to maybe someone's teacher. Mm-hmm. Right? So if your teacher did something, you just don't question it. I'm just going to do it because this is what my teacher did and da-da-da-da-da. Oh, yeah. Um, sort of a loyalty there, right? So maybe there wasn't a reason uh, or thinking of why am I doing this, but my teacher did it, so that's kind of good enough for me, so I'll replicate it with you we we sort of cherry pick what we think of is science and to me science is a process that when you get better information or more full information then you accept the you accept it um or at least you stay open enough to be challenged mm-hmm. right that you, your ideas could be challenged uh, it's not a closed system in that regard yeah. i mean you could yeah. always find new i mean the 13 year old who finds the you know the new way of testing such and such disease Wow, great. You know, and the 65 or 70-year-old scientist who has been doing that their whole life doesn't come out and say, this 13-year-old doesn't know anything. You know, if the science is good, the science is good. Um, so I just was thinking about this this week. I, I took a class with – I am taking a class currently with uh, Ted Diamond, who is uh, an Alexander Technique teacher. He's an author. Mm-hmm. He's written quite a lot of books. Um I first came to note uh, who he was when he wrote his book, uh, Your Body, Your Voice, which was fantastic. And I love the images in it. I thought the picture <laughs> sounds like I'm f- 
third grade. I love the pictures. I thought the pictures were really great um, of the mechanism of the voice. And I read the book and I was like, wow, this is really, really cool. Um, and he was writing about the voice, not from a pedagogical perspective, but from a uh, functional perspective. How does yeah. it work? How does it work? So I've been taking this class with him this past week, which was really great. Mostly the people that are there are Alexander Technique teachers. Some of them are voice teachers. But something that he had talked about this week sort of got my wheels turning. And and if you'd said this to me like, I don't know, a month or two months ago or whatever, I would have said no. I would have had a really sort of firm opinion about it. But now that I've sort of let this bobble around in my brain, I'm becoming more open to the idea of this. And it's just one example, but it's nose breathing. And, you know, old me would have said, no, sing, no, you've got to breathe through your mouth, mouth only, mouth, you know. Um, But now that I've sort of let that thought bubble around my head, the case that he makes for it is actually quite good, uh, which is the the role that it plays in uh, what it it does to the larynx in terms of, you know, uh, relaxing the throat. So I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole, and I read um, Richard Miller's book, Solutions for Singers, or was it Solutions for Singing? I can't remember the direct title. Uh, but Singers. Yeah. Singers, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he says in that book, you know, someone had asked him, why are you doing a nose breath? And Miller lays out the reasoning, and I was like, wow, this reasoning is exactly what we were talking about in this class, which is that it slows down the intake of breath. Mm-hmm. So if you have gaspers, people yeah. who take... Uh, you know, <gasps> loud, noisy inhalation, mm-hmm. uh, something like a nose breath can slow them down. Mm-hmm. And it also helps to calm down the torso, right? Because the shoulders and the, and the chest, when you're breathing through your nose, will tend not to rise if, again, you're breathing in a, in a relaxed way through your nose. And this is mm-hmm. one of the things that Diamond talks about where he he says that, you know, you don't want to sniff... Because that's kind of a collapsing of the nostrils. You want to sort of do that smell a rose idea, right? I'm smelling Mm -hmm. a rose, which is as old as the hills. Yeah. But uh, it just got me thinking about changing your mind about things. Because once I had sort of thought about that, I started experimenting with different students. And wouldn't you know, when we slowed down like that, a lot of them were able to, to really release a lot of constriction that was going on in their throat because of the dilation of breathing through their nose, which... which caused the throat to dilate a bit more. And so anything that might be squeezy on onset when they start singing suddenly was like, oh, there's that free sound again. And so as not to sound like, oh, I'm changing my mind for a new religion, I obviously see that we don't want students to always breathe through the nose. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be, that would be <laughs> kind of weird. I mean, there's going to be moments when you're going to have to breathe through the mouth. Sure. But... um I just thought, you know, it was an interesting opening for me to say, wow, this before I would have never thought to to use this, I would have been against this. But now that I'm using it, I'm like, wow, that is kind of useful. And it can get us and it can get a student to a better sort of relationship with breathing and then singing and getting sort of the whole mm, geography of the throat region to sort of release a little bit more and relax a little bit more on Mm -hmm. on inhalation. Yeah. Um, Diamond says, too, from our lifestyles of sitting all day our throats are generally collapsed because we breathe through our mouths. So this kind of mouth breathing thing when we're sitting all day is really not healthy or great for the throat. So breathing through the nose sort of helps to, to retrain the soft palate and the larynx to sort of find their pr- proper positioning. Hmm. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So you, when the throat is collapsed, he said, this is Diamond, he said, we, we start to speak rather heavily. We kind of get really down like and like this and, you know, everything gets really heavy. Whereas, whereas um, when you breathe through your nose, it's sort of a little bit higher. It's a little bit more lifted maybe. What, what, what people say, oh, don't talk on your voice, which is really don't let your throat collapse. I mean, I think it's what they're saying. Don't, you know, let the yeah. geography on the throat collapse. But I just thought it was a really interesting um, sort of teaching moment for me to ask myself, you know, where are things where I'm really rigid about my thinking on something Mm-hmm. And am I open to changing my mind? So it was yeah. just one situation where I thought, wow, you know what? I've changed my mind about this. I've changed my mind about breathing through the nose. Now, everyone's going to say, oh, you're going to do that all the time now. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. But I think it's another tool in the arsenal mm-hmm. of of giving a student a, a means to something that can that can show them what it feels like. Again, there's the olive, my our famous olive uh, uh, yep. situation with um, 
getting them to the sensation and going, oh, is that what it feels like when my throat isn't tight? Wow, that feels different. That sounds better, too. So it's a, it's a means to get to something. Yeah, means um, to. Boy, that's a great lead-in for... You ready to hear one of mine? Yeah, throw it. Well, th- this is actually kind of a... Well, breathing's a big subject, too. But th- this one is a big thing for me, which is uh, the use of imagery to teach mm. with... Um, I started out with teachers who had imagery concepts that they taught with that didn't work very well for me. And then I found uh, a couple different methods when I came back to studying singing again that have almost no imagery. Many of the teachers in these methods have absolutely zilch. Um, and I was all gung ho about that, and and their their reasons why we shouldn't use imagery in teaching made a lot of sense to me because it had not worked for me. But what I found happening was, as I studied, even with these totally non-imagery teachers, that in my own body and mind I would develop images. Uh, images would emerge as I was like warming up to sing that helped give me the signals that, oh, I'm warmed up now, or I'm ready to do this. Or when I execute this part of the song, this is what it feels like to me. And, and it could be, you know, I could, I could be, have, have an image of like something visual while I'm singing, while I'm making sound, or I might have Mm. a feeling in, a body part that seems to always accompany doing a certain task. And so I started to realize that um, maybe images are really useful for the person who has them in an organic way that develops them themselves through their experiences. Mm. So then I'm like, just more recently, I've been more willing to... Uh, talk about common imagery that other people use and just say it's incredibly personal. You know, you may feel this way or not feel this way, but some people report that, uh, blah, blah, blah. And um, some of our singers are so disconnected from their bodies. Uh, as you were saying about Diamond saying our collapsed condition mm-hmm. of sitting and so forth, um, sometimes it can actually be useful to get a person breathing more fully or, or actually just starting to feel something. If I say like, okay, let's breathe down deep in our body. So let the air fall deep mm-hmm. into your body and uh, you know, let it fall all the way into your stomach. And I usually say, you know, the lungs, of course, are really up here. But if we if we let air in, we may feel something. And uh, let yourself let yourself feel something throughout your body when you breathe, and, and tell me what that is. Um, I'm really careful about it. <laughs> yeah. But I used to. I mean, there were years where I was like, virtually no imagery of any kind at all. No no tactile imagery to speak of. No. Certainly no visual imagery. Mm. I was really sick of that. Uh, And it was really my baggage um, Mm. that made me reject it entirely. Mm. Um, I think it has a place. So that's something I really changed my mind on over Mm. the years. I think something you and I have talked about going around the barn with is the idea of placement, too. Right. That's another one. And we have you and I have both had these conversations where we go, no, yes. (laughs) Right. And, and that there's some value in those ideas. There is really some, some value there. Um, and I think for you and I both, it took reading that Husserl and Rod Marling book to sort of concept conceptually go, Oh, okay. That I can get behind that. I understand. Yeah. As a, as a language of the ear. Yeah. Right? Uh, a, lang- a, a herd science is what I think they call it. Yeah. There, I felt like what they did in there in terms of trying to somewhat codify certain placement concepts uh, that they had sort of 
compiled a consensus view of what most singers uh, conceive of mm-hmm. uh, with different placement. And just knowing that a lot of people have used a certain kind of placement idea for a certain purpose, it, it, it you know, at least it gives you some definition, some tool right. in the belt. And one thing that was cool about the placement thing in Hoosler Rod Marling was it was in depth. Like there were a lot of different nuances to the different placement ideas based on what you were doing. And I think where some teachers get in trouble with the placement idea is saying, for me, the the sound is always in exactly this place all the time, throughout mm-hmm. my range, all the and I think there are some singers where that works great. They have a system, uh, you know, of being in touch with the voice in a way that they have the thought, ah, I am, I am singing in such a way that the bridge of my nose seems to be the mm-hmm. place where, where, where I feel like it, the energy is really buzzing. And there are other really fine singers who will feel the placement move as they go to different parts of their range. And of course, both are valid. Yeah. Well, it's at the layman. Was it Lottie Layman or who, who the, the, the head with all the notes going all the way up and in, 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 you've seen that image? Yeah. Yes. It was, uh, was it Lily or think, Lottie? It I was, think it was but Lily. The, it was, I it was yeah, Lily I think it was Lily Layman. layman. Yeah. Uh, that's a fascinating chart. Yeah. Uh, friends, just if like, Google yeah. that and watch all the arrows coming out of the head right. in different places. That was, right. yeah. But the, um, the idea is that uh, there is that sensorial sense of the sound. And I think Husserl and Rod Marlin go for the same idea but in a different way. But I will give yeah. them props. And it was Lily Lehman, I believe. Yeah, it was Lily mm-hmm. who did mm-hmm. that chart. Um, who the, the reason I give them credit is because they say no one place is the place. But that certain functions can be roused in the instrument by thinking about those placement locations. And I think we have, we don't use those words perhaps anymore, although some, I'll, I'll still hear people say, oh, my voice teacher's working on my placement. I still yeah. hear that. I still yeah. hear that. Um, and that, I, you know, I, I don't begrudge, that's again, language and semantics for me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think when people, well, I, I mean, you and I have, have been exposed to pedagogy. It's like if you do, ho, 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 oh, a Santa Claus sound, I mean, that would be in a particular um, system, a, a kind of placement. Right, that the voice is placed in a particular place, or that's obviously another kind of placement, or that's another kind of placement. So I think what Husserl and Marling tried to do was sort of kept capitalize on physical sensations and sort of use them as a way to get the singer's ear more attuned to internal function. Yeah. So, so they call it a science of the ear. I mean, their book says it's a science of the ear, and. And one of the reasons they say when, when sing, singers go to a new teacher, one of the reasons that they will have success usually right away is because the teacher first off might change their manner of placement. And so the singer will have that sense, oh, I'm getting better. Well, they just went to another location of placement, that's all. And Husserl and Rod, Rod Marling say, you know, anything like that is going to short end you after a while. Mm. The, thing that, the thing that saves you may also be your your uh, death <laughs> you know it may cause you a problem because it be, everything sort of then becomes uh well all the other intrinsic parts of the of the uh, voice come to a standstill because they're not being sort of used and so that's why i think a holistic approach to the voices to me one of the better ways to go about it because you don't get stuck in any one particular place well holistic's a great word because i think when i think about both uh breathing and imagery and a couple other concepts that I'm going to get to uh, that I've changed my mind on. It's like, why reject any kind of feedback we can get about the vocal experience, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like if, if uh, you know, if I'm making a certain kind of sound, well, obviously there's a certain sound quality that I may be going for and that can produce effects you know, and it might have an effect of uh, feeling vibrations in the body. It might have an effect of feeling like a certain kind of mental attitude. It might have the effect of um, using a certain quantity of fill-in-the-blank, energy, air, uh, lip rounding, you know, all this crazy stuff, you know, that it seems like 
gimmicky kinds of teaching don't take it all into consideration. And I can think it with a couple teachers, I think of one really excellent teacher that I have studied with where that person would have sort of a pet concept they like to teach to try to make something happen. And then I made the thing happen. But I felt like the primary thing that made that happen was something else. Mm, mm. You know, so like, oh, I got that sound to happen. Now I know what they mean. And, it's also and, as a singer. I'm <laughs> sorry to interrupt. As a singer, you feel like you betrayed your teacher, though, when that happens. Don't yes, you? because because you're you're singing and you're doing your thing, and the voice teacher says, "Yes, that's right." But you're like, "But I'm not doing what you told me to do." Yeah, right. So you sort of feel like I don't want to tell them that I'm actually not doing that thing. Yeah, I'm doing a different thing. <laughs> yeah, I've gotten bolder about that because because I'll say it. Well, gee, for me, I also feel this other thing. I, and so what really helped me was blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And and then you get a, huh, okay. Um, right. You know, if the teacher isn't totally weird and rigid. Right. Um, yeah. What's something else you've changed your mind on over the years? Well, obviously breathing and that whole thing. Yeah. Um, I, I was, I can't even, I can't even verbalize how bad of a teacher I was when I started out. And, oh my gosh, I just didn't know what I was doing at all, period, mm-hmm. full stop. I mean, I knew what I was doing, but I didn't know how to replicate what I was doing to somebody else. And I didn't obviously have the diagnostic skills at all that I had then. Sure. So everything was sort of band-aided, right? It's like, oh, well, the, here you go. Here's this. Do this. Um, there's so much involved <laughs> in terms of oh, yeah. of all of that. And, and obviously going through my own uh, issues with my own singing voice. Mm-hmm. re-examining the relationship to breathing. I mean, that was a, for me, that was a big mind changer. And yeah. Yeah. it was sort of the first time where I felt as though, well, it, it must be the sensation or the, the feelings that people have when they, let's say, change political views. If you are in a family of, say, I don't know, conservatives, and then all of a sudden you say, I'm not a conservative, I'm this, I'm a liberal, well, or vice versa, you have this sort of betrayal of the family, right? You're like, you're going against the family. Yeah, uh, It doesn't feel great, and you feel isolated, and you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm leaving. But that's kind of what people have to do, right? I mean, in life, mm-hmm. you have to mm-hmm. sort of ask yourself, why do I believe the things that I believe, and even the things that I've been taught? Um, do I just accept the things that I've been taught, or do I really deeply question what I've been taught? Um, and that came for me in breathing, you know, where it was sort of the the promulgated idea, which was that every, you know, breathing will just solve everything. Yeah. It's just going to solve every single problem you ever have. The reason you don't have great high notes is because your breathing is all whacked out. And I just thought, well, well, gee, if I could just find this magical breathing system that would just make everything right, uh, my voice will just be perfect. Mm -hmm. And that's not so. (laughs) I mean, there's just so much more going on than just Mm -hmm. that. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. it's a contributing factor, of course, but... it's not the only game in town. And I think I, that's one of the first times where I changed my yeah. thinking about something. I have a theory and that's hard about in the classical that. world because in the classical world, everybody wants to be breath, 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 breath. Oh, yeah. Classical people, talk, they talk about it like it's a religion. Oh, totally. You and know, breathing is like a religion. Every coach, every master class, every teacher, uh, every water cooler conversation is, is you know, about that. And, uh, but I have a theory about about that. I remember mm-hmm. um, in a class, uh, University of Maryland, uh, Maryland, Maryland Horn was giving a master class and, and uh, she said, well, of course, breathing is everything. I was like screaming in my head. No, it's not. No, it's not. But the thing is for a fantastic singer who's on top of their game, that may be the only thought they need to have. You know, they, they may, they may have a voice that's so integrated so coordinated and so capable that the thought they need to have in order to sing wonderfully is breathe, sing. And they know that if they think other thoughts in addition to that or start to get into checklisting and stuff like that, they know that they'll tie themselves up in knots that, that they've gotten to a point where they can trust their voice so much that the very best directive they can give it is Breathe, breathe, sing. And and so for them, uh, you know, it may be true in how they operate. And uh, and it may be that 
a lot of times when they feel a little off, it's because their breathing is compromised in some way, you know, too too big a meal or, the, or they've had a chest cold. But th- that's when you're in, a, in this really rarefied air of being an incredibly capable, fantastic singer. <laughs> right. You know, like uh, my teacher, Virginia Grasso, says, eventually you have to get so you only have one or two or maybe three thoughts. Yes. That's such good advice. Sing. You know, you're so on it. That's right. You're so right that the higher, more technically proficiently functioning voice is not going to grapple with the interlaryngeal issues of yeah. a neo, you know, mid-level singer or a yeah. beginner singer. Yeah. And a singer, you know, I, I, I've had so many singers who come in who have breath issues, but that's because of what's happening in the voice, in the vocal folds, right? And we clear that up, and then suddenly they're like, oh, my breathing got better, you know? Yes, so, yes, yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, so it's cart and the horse kind of idea, right? Which is the cart, yeah. which is the horse. But um, I think this idea of staying open and flexible and questioning and, yeah. you know, what is it? What is it? The, there's a quote, and I don't remember who's, who says it, but it's a sign of an educated mind to be able to entertain two ideas without, or an, entertain an idea without accepting it. Oh, mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. That you don't just look at something and go, no, but that you can look at it something and say, hmm, let me think about this. You know, yeah. let me, let me, how are you, you know, how is this coming about? How is this idea? Because if something's valuable, I mean, my students who, okay, this week we did nose breathing and I was just from, for me, it was curiosity. They all said, wow, my throat feels so much better or this feels so easy. I'm like, oh, done. Great. Perfect. You know, and I think as long as I couch it in this idea of, well, Let's get this so in your nervous system that you can then do it through your mouth. Exactly. Right? right. Let's do right. it so much so that you have felt this, that you know what it feels like to breathe, to sing, that when you take a breath through your mouth, you're not going to betray the function of your torso, of your shoulders, and all of that. So I or think can... there's some yeah merit in staying open to ideas. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I try to model that, and I really encourage the, the student. In, in that particular case, you know, where a nose breath, for example, may unlock some things, then mm. it's really fun to, like, do the A-B experiment, you know. And so you, you take in oh, yeah. a nose breath, sing a phrase, then take in a breath through the mouth, sing the same phrase, and then just take nose breath, mouth breath. How is the mouth breath different? Right. Why do you think it's different? What what how can we make if the nose breath seems to help things a lot? How can we make a mouth breath more like a nose like breath? That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. I think yeah, that's the idea. It's it's staying yeah. open to things. It's not yeah. being too pedantic. Of course, you know, I always have to bring these things back to history, right? So uh-huh. I have a I have a little quote here from a book, uh, uh, the the musical visitor. I think it was a a, a new uh, music magazine uh, from nineteen. Oh, sorry, eighteen ninety one. And mm-hmm. this is a description of Frederick Root, who uh, was oh, a yeah. voice teacher. Yeah. Um, uh, allegedly, he studied with Carlo Bassini in New York, and he also worked with Luigi Vannuccini in Florence. Uh, Root was a composer, a teacher, and a writer on The Voice. Uh, he was very much exposed to a lot of the best pedagogy of his time. Um, and I just like this because this quote because it shows that it's, he's very open-minded in his okay. teaching, and I wanted to just share it. Mr. Root's method of teaching, voice, is intended to be comprehensive, including and classifying many things rather than emphasizing some specialties. For instance, instead of maintaining that breathing for singing must be done in one way, he develops all the breathing actions and assigns to each the resources of expression or technique which belong to it. Mm. Or, rather than teach that the voice should be drilled in clear timbre, mainly with open and forward tone, or on the contrary, in deep covered somber tone, he holds that both are equally necessary in training being complementary halves of voice production. Instead of condemning this or that course in voice training as ruinous to voices, he is in the habit of assorting all reputable methods that come under his notice as good for certain states and conditions of pupils and determining in his own mind their relative values and special uses. He has an omnivorous way of assimilating everything that is going. Wow, yeah, that sounds like a, a very open attitude and, and a very curious person. Right. Yeah. I like it because that's kind of how I feel, especially with regard to clear and open timbre, too. Do both. I, mean, I want you to sing bright and I want you to sing dark. Mm-hmm. Both. It's not one is better or the, the desired thing. 
that's the thing I find when people get too somber. You see, many bases of of who we are have what we've listened to mm-hmm. who go too much in one direction and they lose the other thing. We've talked about that before. Yeah, um, keeping again a balance of all things is usually a great way to think about singing. And I like that he's able to sort of assimilate and codify these ideas and use them as a teacher yeah. rather than reject them and limit himself. And I like what they said about, you know, this idea of specialty, right? Um, yes. Em- emphasizing specialties like this, this um, trick, like the one trick pony kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you're going to come to me to learn this. <laughs> Yeah, it's like uh, this teacher. My this teacher was really, you know, and I, how many stories have we heard in our lives? Oh, this teacher was really good for my placement, and this teacher was really good for my breathing, and this teacher was really good for my registration. So it's like, well, is there one teacher that can kind of help you with all those things, <laughs> or at least try to help you with all those things? Yeah, um, it seems a little silly to like like Cinderella, right? Well, you got to go get the mice and get the cat and. You know, get get the pumpkin. <laughs> it's like, can we have a one-stop shop here? So I just, I appreciate a teacher who can keep an open mind, I guess. Because it's hard. It's real hard. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard. Because your teaching is sort of identified with yourself. And what you do is so self-identified that if you're not careful, you, you can uh, fall into a pretty deadly trap with your ego. Yeah. And, um. I think it's good to change our minds, honestly. Yeah. It's, and I, it's okay to change your mind. And I think it's important to have people that you can talk to, like other teachers in little groups or things, yeah. where you can say, hey, I'm, I'm changing my mind about this. And that, that, that those teachers will foster your thinking. I would yeah. say, anybody that doesn't want you to think is not your friend. <laughs> yeah. You know, so especially as a teacher, we need, pe- we need sounding boards for our ideas about teaching. I'd much rather have those small groups of teachers or things like your enclave there. You could say, hey, uh, I'm thinking about this. Like, you, I know you and I have this and maybe some other teachers out there have it too. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I just feel like nobody needs to be publicly flayed for asking yeah. questions or yeah. for expressing an alternative view. I think that's... Well, know, the, and the thing is, um, when I've seen discussions uh, online of, about you know, a technical issue and, and uh, a teacher may ask a question in a group of a thousand members or more about something. Yeah. Some of them are right. huge. And uh, uh, some of the answers you get are, well, this is the answer because, and here's all their substantiation and with references and citations. Right. And what you really wanted to know was on a human human level, what works for you, you know, as a teacher and why did you adopt it? It's a very different thing from, Give me proof of why your way is better. You know, right. it, it, there's just it gets so complicated. So yes, uh, when I have questions, uh, as you know, like when I've been like pondering new thoughts and so forth, yeah, I I really kind of want to talk in one on one or in really small yep. groups yep. Yep. where you can really talk about. Um, also, you could talk about the meta stuff that we're talking about today about like, oh my god. Like, have have I steered people wrong all these years mm. by by believing support worked this certain way? And now I really am not. I'm finding that I don't believe my old self. I've learned new things or I'm simply having doubts. Or the other thing that happens to a lot of us and, and it freaks us out like crazy is, is uh, mid-career people who develop a problem. And you get, you'll have a mysterious vocal problem, for example, that you can't solve yourself and you don't know exactly what it is, or you may know what it is, and you're getting all kinds of contrary messages about how to, quote, fix, unquote, the problem. You really need to find a small group you can trust mm-hmm. for trying out new ideas. And I agree. Doctors do this. Yeah. I mean, I think medical doctors talk about their cases with other doctors. Mm-hmm. They do. But I don't think they'll go to the AMA meetings and say, okay, you know, in a crowd of 6,000 people, here's my patient who has that, you know. Yeah. Don't do, you know, what? You know, yeah. I, I just think that there's a, we have gotten, the internet has gotten us all too familiar with each other. 
yeah, in each other's business. You know, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I don't. I wouldn't have Sunday brunch with you, honey. I just yeah. wouldn't even have you over to eat. So, um, I think you know, having a small group of teachers that you can be your your mind your mastermind group who can sit around and say, hey, you know, like for me to say, okay, for example, that, okay, I'm thinking about nose breathing this week. I can't even imagine the hate mail or the flame wars that that would start on a forum, right? Well, if you breathe through your nose, it looks blithery. You know, everyone justifying their Oh, yeah, like that thing. that Facebook group that has like, I don't know, two, three, four thousand voice teachers in it. Yeah. I just think that you have to have your, the, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm a stoic, but I just feel like you have to have your own mind. And you have to have your own thinking about things. You have to explore things on your own and think about singing and thinking about, don't go along with the crowd. Yeah. Don't go along with the group. You know, the teacher has to be able to think for themselves and, and become a critical thinker and, and look at material and make their own judgments about things. Don't be pressured socially into thinking a certain way about something. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't have ever thought about this nose breathing thing if I hadn't taken a class from someone who was talking about its benefits. And I'm like, well, you know what? I'm going to reevaluate my relationship to that idea. Uh-huh. And uh, it's been great. I'm not saying everyone's going to be like, oh, yes, he taught all his students to breathe through their nose. Hell no, I did not. That's not the point. But the point is that you can open yourself up to an idea that maybe before you would have, you would have censored or you would have shut down just based on your previous experience rather than yeah. looking at it and saying, oh, yeah, let, let, me do, let me think about this. You know? And it was great to see Richard Miller talking about it because, I thought, well, here's a great pedagogue who's saying the same thing and saying its benefits are good. For the voice. So I'm like, eh, you know, give it a try. Rather than dismiss it. And if it doesn't work, put it away. It may not with, work for that student, you know. With my longer term students too, I like to let them know that my teaching has changed over time. Yes. And I like to I like I like to try to model the idea of having an open mind about how to solve problems and certain training aspects, you know, are certainly worthy of exploration. Some of the go-getter students, two things will happen. One, they'll do experiments on their own, which is way cool. Another thing is they'll go gather opinions, and then that can be kind of daunting. Oh. <laughs> you know, like so-and-so on YouTube said, oh. or, or I took a class or, or a lesson with, you know, you know, Madame Larynx Breaker, and she said, blah, blah, blah. But all in all, kind of like First Amendment, I think the free marketplace of ideas. Right should should also apply to voice pedagogy and and I wish and it's hard it is hard and especially with this mentor relationship we have with students mm -hmm. the the one-on-oneness of it all and how it's sort of private let's say for example let's say my studio is all adults and let's say I have a mix of wedding band singers and community theater musical singers and a couple high school students sprinkled in so in general, my studio doesn't have, that is my studio actually, <laughs> uh, uh, my studio doesn't have a social scene. Sometimes there are multiple students from one high school, mm -hmm. but it's not like I have a studio full of 20, 16 to 18 year olds all preparing for college mm -hmm. voice auditions. So I don't have a culture where they all talk to each other. It's possible. I know there are some teachers who do do the same thing with every student and never change because it fills up a lesson and it helps some students succeed. Mm -hmm. But man, I think it's really cool if you can model for the student that sometimes, you know, you have to say, oh, this is a really interesting problem. I don't know this instant how to solve it. Let's dig in and try some stuff. And so you show that your mind is open. It helps a student be more open. And it, it, it gets out of the perfectionism. And it does better problem solving. And it teaches better problem solving. Say, hey, I can change my mind. Uh, maybe we need to go this different direction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know? And I think it gets harder the older we get as teachers. Yeah. Right? Because the more entrenched we get into our feelings about things and the less maybe curious we become about what other people are doing or if, you know someone else has a better idea there's a story in um i think frederick root and actually here speaking of our guy frederick root yeah he interviewed uh manuel garcia ii in 1894 for a magazine Oops. called mm -hmm. werner's, werner's Mag magazine mm -hmm. and garcia at the time was 89 years old 
Um, mm-hmm. He lived to be 101. And he had decades of teaching behind him. And uh, Root had asked him, you know, what, what, what did you do? And Garcia said, you know, I used to do all kinds of stuff. He said, I used to do this exercise. I used to, uh, you know, do, do all this. He said, he put the tone in the head. He'd do peculiar things with the breathing and so on. But then as the years would go on, he said, oh, that's all the stuff. That stuff's useless. And so he was like, you know, just do this, do that, keep it simple, blah, 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 blah. So he really got more simple as he, as he got older. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a man of his time and, and had all these exercises. Now, here is the argument that I think is very interesting. If you came in to Garcia's studio when he was teaching, let's say, forward placement, mm-hmm. you would go away from that experience saying to yourself, Garcia taught forward placement or Garcia taught breath this or that because he did. Mm-hmm. He said so. Mm-hmm. But again, you're not getting his sort of late in life reevaluation of those ideas. So this is how people get addicted to someone's pedagogy who's a historical figure. They may change over time. And that person who was studied with them when they were in their 20s or whatever, and that, and that teacher was maybe younger, will go away and say, well, Senor Garcia taught us all to do this. Well, of course he did. That's what he was doing at the time. But this is where changing your mind is so fraught because... We probably now have a lot of people saying, well, of course Garcia taught this. Well, of course he did. He said he did. Yeah. But but towards the end of his life, he might have had to come to Jesus, as we say in Missouri. Yes. You know, and like changed his mind and thought, yeah. you know what? That He even said, he said it was useless. So it's, that's his word. That's Root's word that he said it was mm-hmm. useless. So I think, I think changing for voice teachers is fraught with that danger because then we think we're going to be represented by others as being the teacher who taught x y or z yeah and so we we get trapped into our own nests of stuff because everything is so commodified everything is so gimmicked right everything is so Mm -hmm. tricky tricked that it's like that's really what this many students come to you for is your tricks you know give me your tricks yeah and if you're a teacher who wants to be more holistic and more um I don't know, human in your, in your work. This is where a lot of these fads and fancies we've talked about can come back and bite you in the butt. Because what happens then when you turn around and you say, you know what, I'm not, I, I'm not convinced of that theory anymore. And I'm not going to teach that anymore. Yeah. The, you know, another, uh, Cornelius Reed was a long lived teacher. And I, I've seen that same thing happen with how his teaching is conveyed. Um, I know someone who studied with him in the sixties and then I worked with a teacher for several years who studied with him in the 90s. And uh, things changed. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. we, had a dis- we had that discussion once. It was a particular maneuver yeah. that, that yeah. Uh, I had mentioned to somebody. And they said, he never did that. And yeah. then it had to take another te- person or teacher in the group who, who came along and said, actually, in the 80s, he did do that with me. He did do that exercise with me. Yeah. So again, if you're that person who worked with him in the '60s, you have a particular view of what his work was about. Well, his work was probably markedly varied in the '80s or in the '90s. Yeah. So it's a danger to put a teacher, any teacher or pedagogue, into a box and say, "Well, they taught this, and they always taught this." Yeah, he taught um, for more than sixty years. Right. That's right. an incredibly long career. And, right. and uh, my gosh, if you don't learn anything and change after teaching thousands of lessons, um, that would be incredible. <laughs> well, I mean, it would be, that would be the defi- definition of corporate singing. Yeah. That would be the definition of McDonald's. Yeah. Standardized, boxed up, ready to go, all the same, doesn't vary. And I don't know that that really rings true with the old Italian school Brian, I really don't. I think that their stuff was always talking about following nature. I think there was a great more improvisation. I think that's one of the reasons why we, one of the reasons why we don't have a lot of writing about the Italian school of singing because it was so improvisatory. Mm-hmm. It was sort of whatever worked. I think in the moment, and why they are so vexingly uh, quiet about issues that today we would say, well, why aren't you talking about this? Um, I think it's because it was much more improvisatory. It was a student-centered pedagogy. Yeah. It wasn't teacher-centered, it was student-centered, and it was built upon patience and observation. Yeah. And I think 
that's one of the reasons why we, we were like, what did they do? What are the secrets? What are those secrets of the yeah, Del Canto? I don't you know. know, right. And, you know, you get these tantalizing, vague comments, but that's because you had to allow for the individual. Right. You know? You know? Yep. Effect and, a naturally yeah. smiling, slight smile, you know, uh, in the face as you sing. Well, what does that mean? What about the zygomatic arch? What about right. you know, the, the apples of the cheeks? What about the lip corners and, and blah, 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 blah? And it's like, well, I think back then they would say, it depends, it depends, it depends, it depends. Right. And they would talk about the uh, expression of the text, right? I would think that they mm-hmm. would say that the, 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 the text should reflect, the face should reflect the text. Mm-hmm. So I think... Um, you know, for for Garcia to change his his mind at eighty nine years of age, that's brave. Oh yeah, especially since he was the granddaddy of all that sort of incorporation of science. It takes a lot of guts to be able to be eighty nine years old and turn around against all your discoveries and all the things you talk about in your life, and then say, actually, well, nope. someday when we attack the uh, the coup de glotte, oh right, I mean that was a whole deal, you know, where he observed a thing happening. Right. Uh, and he was one of the first to observe the thing happening. And then he named it, described it, started teaching it, trying to cause it to happen. And at the end of his life said, oops, that, that wasn't so good. I wasn't such, I would not do that again. Or, or I would do it in a different, I would talk about it in a different way. Yeah. Because yeah. I think what he, what was so fascinating about that was that how badly misinterpreted he was in the 19th century about that particular idea. Yeah. But even in the face of con- condemnation that he got, uh, even from doctors and things, he didn't say, I'm wrong about this. The coup de glot. He never said no. He's like, well, maybe I would have named it differently or I would have given it a different name. He said, my error, I think he even said this, he said, my error is giving it the name. Yeah. That I gave it the wrong name. That yeah. I, I should have given it a different name, mm-hmm. because the, the the word the connotation of the word coup, which in, if you don't speak French is it, it means blow, yeah, literally hit, be, or, like hit, hit or blow, things hitting each other, yeah, yeah. like like coup, coup de poing or coup de coup de main, like a, a slap of your hand is what that mm-hmm. you know, coup de uh, coup de théâtre we say right, or coup de grâce right is the final uh, what strike you give someone to kill them when they've been executed or whatever, yeah, uh, he, he just said I shouldn't have called it that. I should. Yeah. I, I, he. I don't think he went back on the idea of it. I just think he went back on the name of it. And was uh-huh. like, I don't want to. I don't want to call it that. So, that's a really interesting case of of his, a person in history. Because I mean, hey, listen, you get all those people who hate you in Europe because of what you've codified as the coup de glot. It's death to the voice. I mean, we have that. We have that. There's people that have said it's death to the voice. It's ruinous to the voice. It's the oh, sure. most pernicious yeah. evil that ever, whatever. And yeah. I mean, all I have to say to that is, oh, how many how many places have we gone, Brian? And seeing people teach, and and they teach the thing in a completely erroneous way, and they're like, "But I'm teaching this maneuver," and you're like, "Oh, darling, oh, oh, my sweet, sweet yeah. summer child, you are you are not teaching that thing." <laughs> I don't think that thing means what you think it means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you have you are conceptualizing that completely in a different way. Yeah. Um, so, I think, um, you know, changing your mind. There's we have we have history of people who have changed their mind and Manuel Garcia is one which I think mm-hmm. we don't talk about that very much and we should mm-hmm. I think that's an important part of the of the story yeah. uh, of Garcia that Mr. Mr. Incredible Scientific Brain uh, Artistic Personality uh, we should talk about that more uh, in terms of having a late life what road to Damascus moment yeah and saying no I'm going to go this way actually or I'm going to simplify this um what was interesting, he had, uh, at the time he wrote his treatise, uh, that was somewhere around between the late 1830s or early 1840s, um, it was by far the most detailed description of what happens during singing. Yep. And uh, because it was sort of the only thing with that kind of detail, it was you know, taken as gospel or fighting words or i mean it was such a target you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um the people who came after even some of the more verbose people did not get into nuts and bolts so much i mean it wasn't probably till the lamparities that we get this sort of description of mechanics of singing Mm -hmm. uh, mingled with a whole bunch of other stuff but yeah they uh the ability to to change your mind i think is 
is really important because also just for the mental health of the teacher too. Oh my. You know, like, like the idea that, oh, I'm going to do this same thing forever. But if you feel like you're constantly learning and you're open and you pry yourself open once in a while <laughs> to yeah. some new ideas, right. then it doesn't feel like such a uh, prison sentence to, you know, be teaching yet another voice lesson. You know, uh, it, it, it's if you're willing to change your mind, you just keep learning things all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. And don't be dogmatic. Yeah. You know, people who become dogmatic become rigid in their thinking. And once you're rigid in your thinking, uh, it's over. Yeah. That is, that mind becomes impenetrable and there's nothing new that's going to get in there. Yeah. Because it's already, it's already, it's already accumulated. It's, it's what storehouse of knowledge and it's done. And it makes you a lot less fun at parties. Oh God, doesn't it? <laughs> Christmas. Just, just, yeah. Stop it. Lighten up. <laughs> Yeah, get a, my voice teacher used to have a dog. Uh, my beautiful, adored voice teacher in college uh, had this dog, Ginger. Fred and Ginger were her dogs. Oh boy! And and every time Ginger would get a you know do something, she'd say, "Ginger, get a grip." And so I feel like with a lot of these voice teachers, I just want to say, "Get a grip, Ginger." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, change your mind. Change your mind often. You know the thing is, is like if you try something, you don't have to throw away your identity. You can try something, and explore a new idea without yeah yeah you can go back to what you were doing before yep but it may be something really uh eye-opening mm-hmm. to do the thing that you think you shouldn't do or the thing that you're against mm-hmm. because there may be you know i always tell maria that maria Callas story she always said you know even the least talented pupil can teach you to do something that you may not be able to do so mm. even the worst exercise may have some bit of information in it that may be of value. Yeah. Yeah. So stay open to learning, man. Stay open to learning. Because it's, you know, it's a lifetime of for us to learn as well. I mean, we're learning from our students. They're learning from us. But uh, yeah. nobody, I don't think, well, maybe some people do, but I don't want a preacher. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want a pastor. I don't want a dogmati- uh, dogmatic, you know, ideologue as a teacher. Yeah, no way. Not at all. Not me. I'm a free-thinking man. Don't give me that stuff. <laughs> well, great. Yeah. Change, change, change can mind. be good. Change is good for you. Okay. Well, very good. Nice chatting with you about all this good stuff. I think we need that Brady theme song. When it's time to change, right? <laughs> You've got to rearrange. I probably just got ASCAP thing there. I tried to change the key so it wouldn't flag the sensors. That was yeah, like, okay. Yeah. Well... If, if I were to sung it, it definitely wouldn't have been a problem because it'd probably be totally out of tune. Oh. I'm, I'm I'm in vacation mode, man. So I know you are. You are chill. You're gonna get that get that uh, pina colada going there. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to change my drink. How there about? you go. Refreshing, refreshing. <laughs> okay, till later, man. All right, talk to you later. Okay, bye. Thanks for joining us today on the Voice Culture Podcast. For more information, connect with us on our website, thevoiceculture.com.